He's amused Cam Newton. He's been insulted by Charles Barkley. When some idiot in the press asked him, if you know what you know now, would you have scheduled this game? He's interviewed Matthew McConaughey. I do say go, Tario. And he's taken on Big Blue Nation. I see, he's just completely taken the wind out of my sails. <laughs> it's time for The Drive with Josh Graham. Good afternoon, everybody. Dave Pulaski in for Josh Graham this afternoon. Josh is off living the life now. He got married a couple of weeks ago. He got to hang out with Charles Barkley and get some wedding advice and marriage advice from Charles along the way. We'll be talking about that uh, as the afternoon wears on. And now he has embarked on his honeymoon, so I'm filling in for him for this afternoon. Glad to be joined by Will Dalton, our producer. Will, uh, you got a chance to hang out with uh, with Josh and uh, over at the NSMA Awards last night and uh, got to experience some of that. We'll talk a little bit about that as the afternoon wears on too, but pretty cool experience for you, huh? Oh, dude, it was such a blast, and that was my first time ever going. Uh, I didn't get to hang out with Chuck because I darted out before okay. then because I was tired. Because the, the, cere- the awards, they lasted from like around 7-ish to maybe... 1045-ish or yeah, so. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, and then you you know, you know, kind of had your your break in between that and the after party uh, where everybody kind of, you know, hung out, connected, you know, networking, things like that, just meeting people. So I did that for a little while. And quite frankly, after that and doing the show all day, and I had to get here earlier a little bit yesterday because Josh was doing some interviews from the NSMA. So mm-hmm. I was kind of gassed. And so I was like, you know what? Let me get home here. So, That's understandable, but um, you, you missed out with hanging out with Sir Charles. So I, I did, but I was like, you know what? There'll be other times. Yeah, and there's There'll one, one thing about this awards is that you have all 50 states represented in sports yes. writers and sports casters being honored uh, in this uh, nationwide event uh, that's put on by the NSMA and great job by executive director Dave Gorn, mm-hmm. as he does every single year. And then you have the after party where you have these national figures who are honored uh, with either Hall of Fame inductions yep. or as national sportscasters of the year. And then you have these these get togethers where everybody who gets a, to attend the ceremony has at least the option of hanging out and at least saying hi and and you know, hobnobbing a little bit with uh with some of these figures, and uh, it's it's a really cool experience. I've been there a couple of times. I didn't go last night. I was a little bit. I, I was pretty you were wiped tied out. Up. I was a little wiped out after uh, after you know the old misses running the College World Series covering that. And uh, what a run, man! What a game that was, huh? Oh, I mean, the last month has been unbelievable. It, yeah, it really has been. So, uh, and we're gonna hear a lot about Ole Miss and their College World Series title, their first national championship in program history for Ole Miss baseball. We're going to hear uh, from Tim Elko, the captain of that Rebels baseball team. We're also going to hear from David Kelm, the voice of Ole Miss football, basketball, and baseball uh, during the last several uh, decades. Also has a a close connection to uh, Kernersville that we'll be able to mention uh, during the show as well. We're going to talk hockey. We're going to hear from Mike Maniscalco from the Carolina Hurricanes as he recaps the Stanley Cup final, and we'll talk about what's going on heading into the NHL offseason. We have a lot to talk about. You're listening to The Drive with Josh Graham. Check this out. We're on at five. The perfect blend of sports and pop culture happens this evening at six with the Rich Eisen Show. Okay, let's get this show rolling. Now back to the drive with Josh Graham. Welcome back to the drive. Dave Pulaski filling in for Josh Graham as he is off on his honeymoon this week out to Asheville, North Carolina to celebrate with his wife and Got a great show lined up for this afternoon, and uh, what a run during the College World Series for the Ole Miss Rebels. 
They end up taking home their first ever national championship. They defeated Oklahoma, sweeping uh, the Sooners over the weekend. And we are happy to be joined by the face and the captain of the ball club, Rebels first baseman, team captain, Tim Elko. Tim, thanks for carving out a little bit of time with us today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys so much. Hey, no problem. Did I understand you're hanging out by the pool uh, right now? Uh, not, not at the very moment, Okay, but, uh, that is the plan. All right. Well, there you go. When was the last time you actually got to sit back, relax and not do anything for a day? Probably around Christmas. Uh, it's been a long time. Uh, it's been a long time. Yeah. Probably around Christmas time. Uh, you know, heading, heading back here to school, um, for a couple of weeks before we, we get started, you know, maybe then, but uh, it's been a minute for sure. No doubt. I mean, you've had, you've had a grind of a regular season to get through then the postseason, uh, a rather maybe, maybe not unexpected in your guys' locker room, but an unexpected overall run all the way through the college world series to this national championship. It's been a couple of days since you've been part of that celebration dog pile over at Charles Schwab field in Omaha. How has your life changed since then? It's been crazy. You know, we we came back to Oxford and had an amazing welcome back, um, walking through the Walk of Champions there in the Grove, and um, you know, it's just been been insane. Um, it's had so many fans down in Omaha, and um, you know, we were able to uh, see all them after the game, and you know, they're at our hotel and everything, and um, just an amazing experience, and just so happy to be part of such an amazing team, and um, you know, to go through it with with the guys that we did, um, you know, I couldn't, couldn't have been happier to be on, on this, uh, on this team. The Ole Miss baseball Twitter account posted a lot of those videos of you guys heading over to the ballpark from the hotel. And it was like a never ending line of fans going from the lobby and then all the way down the street until you guys got to Charles Schwab field. How much of a lift did having that kind of support give you guys? And especially in the championship series where you must've had about 80, 90% fans out of the 25,000 seat ballpark. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Uh, you know, it, it almost felt like a home game and, uh, you know, insanely enough, you know, even, even bigger than a home game because, you know, we, we draw some of the most, uh, most fans in the country to our home games. And, um, you know, obviously there in, in Omaha, the field's uh, a little bit bigger. So, you know, we probably had close to 20,000 Ole Miss Rebel fans there both, both days there for the championship games. And, uh, it was just amazing, and and like you said, you know we we'd come out from our meeting and be walking to a to the bus, and you know there's already thousands of fans there to you know welcome us uh, onto the bus and all the way there to the stadium. So it, it was just an unreal environment, and you know the amount of fans that showed out was just unbelievable. And a um, you know, big shout out to them because I think you know that that helped to support us and um, you know helped us probably play a little better too because we had so much support behind us and um, just just a really fun environment to play and to be able to perform on the big stage you had a couple of home runs in the college world series you had one uh, in uh, game one against Oklahoma you had that line drive to right field let's hear David Callum's call uh, on that solo homer from uh, Tim Elko in game one against Oklahoma line shot right field has a chance at the wall it's out of here Tim Elko with a solo jack down the line and the rebels are up four to nothing now that came off the bat probably about 100 400 five miles an hour do you think you got enough lift on that one to get it into the bullpen yeah you know i didn't really know um you know first of all i didn't really know if it was going to stay fair because the wind was kind of blowing towards the uh, right field pole you know right off the bat i was like oh come on stay fair but then you know after i saw it kept going i'm like oh man that might actually go out so 
um, it was kind of a kind of a double uh, surprise. I didn't know if it was going to stay fair, and I, I didn't really know if it was going to be a home run. So, um, really, just uh, <laughs> kind of kind of was a, a nice awakening there when I when I saw it go over the fence. So, um, it, it was a really cool experience. Yeah, kind of a welcome to the College World Series final moment there. Uh, that was a part <laughs> of a big day that you ended up having in Game One against Oklahoma to help spark uh, that ten to three victory against them. Now, let's go back to early May. You're four, uh, seven and fourteen in Southeastern Conference play. You're in last place in the SEC's West Division. How down was the locker room at that point, and what did you, as the captain, try and do to keep everybody's spirits up? Yeah, you know it. It was uh, it, it was a tough road there in the middle of the season. Um, you know, we had lost a bunch of series in a row, and um, we'd obviously towards the beginning of the uh, SEC play, we had gotten swept by Tennessee, and it was obviously just a tough start. And um, you know, it, the spirits were, you know, a little bit down, of course, as, you know, you could probably imagine. But, um, you know, I, I told the story yesterday in the presser, you know, I'd, it was after the Mississippi State Series we lost at home. Um, I was I, I talked to my sister on the phone, and um, I, was, I was emotional because, you know, it was, it was starting to hit me a little bit, too, because you know, I was doing my best to try to keep everybody up and positive and, um, you know, just try to win one game at a time um, because every win matters. And, uh you know, it was really tough, and I, I was talking to my sister, and you know, I was just, I was confused. Um, you know, God, God had called me back here to play another year at Ole Miss, and you know, just things weren't going how I thought it was going to go. And um, you know, it's crazy because you know sometimes that's how that's how God works things. You know, you, you don't really understand, but His plan is perfect. So um, I was praying, and um, He just told me to keep believing, and um, that was that was the one word He kept putting in my head. So um, I decided, all right, well, I'm going to keep believing, and. Um, I, I wrote that on our, our big whiteboard as you walk into the locker room. And, um, you know, that's what I tried to harp on to the other guys that, Hey guys, you know, this, this isn't over, you know, we, we can still win a bunch of games and, um, get in the postseason. And, you know, if they let us in the postseason, um, you know, it's going to be fun from there. So, uh, you know, I just tried to harp on, uh, that belief and knowing, you know, how good of a team we really are. And even if, you know, through these struggles, we weren't able to win, um, some of those close games and, you know, our record was uh, not showing how, how good of a team we really were. Um, I just try to keep everybody up and believing and positive and, um, you know, let them know that every single win that we get from here on out uh, could be the one that gets us into the postseason. And, uh, you know, it, we, we were able to, to win enough games to get in and, um, you know, you know the rest of the story. No question about that. Talking with Tim Elko, Ole Miss first baseman and captain of the national champion Rebels. That must be really good to hear, by the way. Uh, you had that home series against Missouri that first weekend in May. You swept the Tigers. And at the end of that Sunday game, you turned to a camera and you said, don't let the Rebs get hot. What spurred you to make that statement in that moment? And how surprised are you that it's caught fire the way it has? Uh, pretty much becoming a rallying cry for the entire school, not just a baseball team. Yeah, Um you know, before that Missouri series, uh, Chris Coughlin had come in and uh, he was talking to us before the first game, and um, he uh, he harped on you know having belief, and um, and it was kind of crazy because that you know that's what I had been trying to um, harp on to the guys and um, instilling them, and uh, he talked about you know having conviction and that belief that you know you you, you believe you're going to win every single game no matter what, and uh, you know he was talking about that and. Um, he was telling a story about uh, whenever he got uh, picked up by the Cubs um, after, you know, he, he was rookie of the year and um, then you know, got released as a free agent and got picked up by the Cubs. And he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a, uh, a prime role guy, you know, right when he got there, 
but you know he just kept working and uh you know he kept telling himself you know they better not let me get in get in they better not let me play because you know then they're going to see how good I really am and um you know that kind of that kind of sparked like the all right well you know don't let the revs get hot for me in my head uh because you know then we're going to go on a roll and you know we're going to do this thing and um you know it's kind of just after that game I just uh saw a camera and I was already walking away and I was like, you know what? Yeah, you're you know, doubled back. You know, just as like a, just as like a cool little thing, and um, you know, it kind of just caught fire, and it was, it was true. You know, uh, we we got hot, and um, you know, they shouldn't have let us because you know, once, once we once we got our chance, uh, we just took it and run with it. Selection Monday, you guys are 32 and 22 on the season. You're all gathered together to watch the tournament selection show. How nerve wracking was that experience watching it on TV with the fate of the team just kind of hanging in the balance there? Yeah, no, it, it was definitely a little nerve-wracking because, you know, obviously we had an early exit from the SEC tournament, and, you know, we are hoping to win uh, a couple games down there, and, you know, I think that would have, you know, gave us full confidence that, you know, we would have been in uh, for sure, and um, obviously winning the, or uh, losing the first game, uh, you know, was was not ideal. So, you know, we came back, and uh, we were practicing all week, and, you know, we were kind of just sitting at home watching uh, a lot of games of, uh, you know, things we needed to happen and, you know, things we kind of were hoping wouldn't happen. And, um, you know, in all honesty, it seemed like a lot more things that we were hoping wouldn't happen were happening. So um, it seemed uh, – it, it didn't didn't seem as uh, as good as we were hoping for going into that, that selection Monday. Um, but, you know, Coach had been telling us all week that, you know, he felt like we had a good enough resume and – um, you know, that, you know, we, we just kept practicing and had some inner squads and, um, you know, we were going to be ready to go if, uh, if our name got called and, you know, he felt confident. So that, that made us feel a little bit better, um, and, you know, going into it. But, uh, obviously we were still a little nervous just because, like I said, you know, so many things that we were hoping wouldn't happen were happening. And, um, you know, so going into that Monday, um, it, it was definitely a little bit nerve wracking, but, you know, oddly enough, I remember the night before uh, I was going to sleep and, you know, I, you know, an- another game that we were hoping something would happen, didn't happen. And so, you know, I, I was a little nervous after that, but I remember I was about to go to sleep and uh, the, um, I just kind of got a piece that came over me and um, I, I don't really know, you know, why, or uh, I, I think it was just God put in my heart that, Hey, you know, I, I think you're going to be all right. And, uh, you know, you kind of gave me that piece that um, something good was about to happen. And uh, so I felt that. And uh, so I, I was a little bit more relieved going uh, to the uh, to the field to watch the selection show. But, um, you know, it all ended up working out. Uh, and I think that uh, that's probably why God put that piece on my heart. Yeah, you guys get in. You get placed in the Coral Gables region with number six national seed Miami, as well as Arizona, the team that you faced in last year's Super Regional was there a little bit extra motivation in getting the Wildcats for that first game after they knocked you out the previous season? You know, I, Coach B talked about it before the game, and he's like, you know, you know, some people will think, uh, you know, this type of that type of motivation would help them, and others, it's kind of like, hey, it's just another game. And um, so, I think some some guys maybe use it kind of the uh, the revenge motivation. Um, for me, you know, I. I don't really care who's on the other side of the, of the ball. You know, I, I just kind of want to beat everybody. So, um, for me, it wasn't like a, a huge deal. Um, but 
uh, you know, we were just happy to uh, to beat them in the first game and, you know, go on to win a couple more games down there in Coral Gables. And you ended up as the MVP of that regional. You went seven for nine in those three games. You had your first career three-home run game against Arizona in that regional final. That was a 22-6 to victory over the Wildcats. Let's hear uh, the third home run of three in Coral Gables for Tim Elko. Swung on, fly ball, right field. On the run is Otrimba at the wall. That's gone. Three home runs for Elko. He breaks the school record in a single season, 22 homers, and three in a game for the first time in his career, 19-5 Ole Miss. Tim, you couldn't have asked for a much better time for your first ever three-career home run game uh, in, in a postseason, uh, in an event like that, in, with a chance to clinch and send you guys to the Super Regionals. How locked in were you during that weekend? Yeah, I mean, I, I was just trying to help us win ball games. You know, whether it was you know, stuff I could do in the field, uh, obviously anything I could do with the plate, I was just trying to have good at bats, um, get on base, uh, put some put some balls in play hard, and um, you know, hope for the best, and uh, you know, do whatever I could to help us win. And um, I was able to do that. And um, yeah, there there was a lot of guys that had some great weekends that weekend. Uh, Peyton Chatnier broke out that weekend, and uh, you know, won pretty much won us that first game against Arizona. And, uh, and then obviously. Um, you know, I know Kemp had a home run or two, and um, you know, just really the whole offense was was clicking. I mean, like you said, we won that last game, um, twenty-two to six, and uh, you know, not not to be not to be showed up by how, how well our pitching performed as well. Um, you know, we beat the number one or not, yeah, the number one seed down there, but the the number six overall seed in the country, Miami, uh, two to one. Uh, you know, and a nail biter there, and uh, just just some amazing pitching. And I I think I remember. Um, seeing that our, our bullpen gave up zero earned runs that, that weekend. So, I mean, that's just incredible. And, um, you know, just, just the way our team just came together and uh, really just clicked in the playoffs was uh, just a really cool thing to be a part of. And talking about the pitching, too, then you go into the Super Regionals against uh, Southern Miss in Hattiesburg and you outscore them 15 to nothing in those two games. Dylan Delusia and Hunter Elliott. Hunter pitched that game against Miami. Uh, how stabilizing was it? to have those guys on the front end of the rotation and how much to put the offense at ease knowing, Hey, these guys got our backs. We can go out and just do our thing. Yeah. I mean, we, we went down there and we didn't give up any runs in both games and um, you know, huge credit to Dylan and to Hunter um, down the stretch. They, they really helped to solidify our, our starting pitching rotation and uh, you know, help helped us to win a, a lot of games. And um, you know, probably, probably is one of the, sole reasons we kept our season afloat um just how how well they pitched down the stretch and um really our, our entire pitching staff uh pitched so well um the last couple weeks and and kept us in games and, and allowed the offense to maybe not feel so much pressure to have to score a bunch of runs but you know at the same time i, I think our offense was um in a lot of those games able to score early and uh you know that allowed um you know the pitching staff to probably not feel as much pressure to you know have to absolutely dominate in order for us to win you know when you score early as an offense it, it helps to take some pressure off on the other side and um but again you know our, our pitching staff just pitched so so well um uh, down the stretch and you know really helped to win us a lot of games speaking with tim elko ole miss captain and first baseman on the national champion rebel squad you get to omaha you have to face basically the sec west all over again you faced auburn in the opening game. Then he had to take on Arkansas three straight times to reach the finals. 
How difficult were those matchups with the Razorbacks in particular, a team that you guys have gone tooth and nail against uh, during these last few years? Yeah, you know, but both of those teams had an amazing, amazing years, really. Um, you know, I, I know Auburn hosted a regional in, in Arkansas, probably could have hosted a regional as well. And, um, you know, both very good teams and um, they had great seasons and had, had some really, really good players on both those teams. Um, but, you know, we, we went into uh, Omaha with a lot of confidence and, um, you know, belief that, Hey, you know, we didn't, we didn't come here to just make it to Omaha. You know, we came here and we, we want to win a national championship. And, uh, you know, we came out of the gate um, with some fire against Auburn and um, obviously Dylan pitched amazing. And, um, you know, we were able to score some runs against a, a good pitching staff there of Auburn as well. And, um, you know, then, like you said, we had to play three straight games against Arkansas, who we had had a lot of battles with this year. Um, you know, we went down there and we lost two out of three, but all the games were very close. You know, we won the first one um, down there. And then the second one, I think they walked us off. And uh, on, on Sunday, they beat us by one run. So, um, you know, we had some really good games against Arkansas this year. And, um, you know, they had a really, really good team and some, some really good pitchers and hitters as well. And, um, you know, we we were able to uh, win that first game against them. And, um, you know, then they, they got us there in, in the second game. But, um, you know, we were able to pull it out in, in that in that last game. Um, and, uh, you know, hats off to, again, our pitching staff. who uh, Yeah, Dylan, Dylan, Dylan was shoving that uh, game against Arkansas on that Thursday. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. 114 uh, pitches, Dylan, two hours, you know, five minutes. Was, uh, <laughs> uh, un- unbelievable performance. And, um, you know, one, one of the – if not the best pitching performance I've ever seen, especially in a clutch game um, to get you to the college world series finals. Um, Just an amazing, amazing performance by him. And uh, you know, obviously we won two to zero. So uh, you know, if he hadn't pitched that well, yeah, the game definitely could have been different. So um, just an amazing performance. And then you face Oklahoma in the finals. You went 10, three in that first game. Then you had to rally in that second game. You were down two one in the eighth inning before coming back and winning 4-2. Was it actually kind of fitting to come back the way you guys did after what you had to endure this season? Yeah, you know, the the starting pitcher for Oklahoma, um, Tate Horton, he, he pitched amazing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the, through the first seven or eight innings. Um, he pitched really, really well and uh, was just keeping everybody off balance. And I think he just gave up one solo home run to uh, Jake. And, um, you know, then – you know, they obviously uh, scratched a couple of runs across um, in the uh, top of the eighth, and then we were able to, uh, you know, score three there in the bottom of the eighth to uh, take the lead. But yeah, I think, like you said, I think it was it was only kind of fitting. And uh, you know, I remember I was you know kind of getting close to getting up to bat, and um, I remember Jake went up before me, and uh, we had first and third. I think it was one out, and uh, in my head I'm like, oh, Jake, Jake's gonna do this thing right here because you know. It, I think he uh, didn't quite have maybe the year he was hoping for. And, um, you know, he honestly, I, I don't know if I saw anybody get more unlucky on uh, line drives and hard hit balls that would get caught than him. Uh, I think he probably could have had another five or six hits in the college world series alone. That, yeah. uh, you just were kind of unfortunate and, you know, went right at people or whatnot. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's one of the best baseball players I've, I've ever seen and I've ever played with. So, um, you know, I knew when he came up to bat right there that he was going to get up the hit, and um, you know he did, and tied the game up. And then you know we were able to take advantage of some some pass balls, and uh, you know take the lead. And um, of course Brandon Johnson closed it down. But you know, I think it was only fitting to uh, you know kind of have a comeback win in the last game um, for such a, a crazy year. 
Yeah, being the captain of the first ever national championship in Rebels baseball history, what does that mean to you? I'm sorry, I kind of lost you there for a second. Oh, that's all right. Yeah, being the captain of the first ever national championship in Rebels baseball history, what does that mean to you? Uh, it's an honor. Um, it's been an honor to be voted captain by my teammates for the last couple of years and um, just an honor to play for such an amazing university. And um, you know, I've had the best teammates uh, over the past years and the best coaches in the country. Um, and, you know, really everybody involved with Ole Miss and, and with this program are, are just amazing. Um, Keith Carter is you know, the best AD in the country and uh, he's always there to support us. And um, last year when I tore my ACL, he, he was in the training room. Um, he, he had driven from home and was in the training room by the time I walked back there. Uh, I mean, he, he's just the best. And, um, you know, I, I've learned so much from um, being around such amazing people in this program. And um, like I said, it's, it's just an honor to have played for such a good program and um, play with such amazing teammates. And, um, you know, I made a lot of memories that uh, I'll never forget. And finally, before we let you go so you can enjoy the pool and uh, the championship celebration <laughs> tomorrow in Oxford, where do you go from here? you got preparations for the Major League Baseball draft, things like that. What, what's on the horizon for Tim Elko? Yeah, you know, I, I think the draft's coming up here in uh, a couple weeks or maybe a month or so. And um, so, I'll, you know, obviously you know, have, we have the celebration tomorrow, and um, I'm going to take all that in and, and enjoy it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to, I'm just trying to focus on one thing at a time. So I'm, I'm going to enjoy that. And then, um, you know, we'll see what, what the draft holds for me in a couple of weeks, but uh, I'm just going to take in these last couple of moments I've got with, uh, with these guys and, um, you know, with this team that went through so much, like everybody knows. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's what makes this team so great is uh, we, we became so close because when you go through tough times with people, you, you get really close with them and really, really build relationships well. And, um, so it, I'm, I'm going to enjoy these last couple uh, moments I've got with these guys and um, take it all in because, you know, that, that, this is what it's all about is uh, the relationships and, and, and building those memories. Um, and I'm going to miss these guys a lot. So um, I'm going to enjoy this and then, you know, we'll take it one day at a time. Well, Tim, speaking from experience, from from having played at Ohio University uh, a couple of decades ago, uh, those relationships stay with you because uh, I'm still in contact with my teammates from from 20 years ago uh, going to now, and we we still stay in touch. We still rib on each other whenever we get the chance, so I'm sure you'll have that opportunity as well. So uh, enjoy every second of it. Yeah. Yes, sir, I will. All right, yes, Tim, congratulations on the College World Series title, a stellar career at Ole Miss. The people in Oxford are going to be talking about you and this team for a really, really long time. So thanks for giving us some time today, <laughs> and enjoy uh, enjoy the pool and everything going on in the future. We'll be rooting for you. <laughs> yes, sir, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. Hey, glad for it. Tim Elko, first baseman and captain of the national champion Ole Miss Rebels. Always good to talk to Tim. I had a chance to be in the studio uh, during the Ole Miss season over at Learfield and, and got to experience all the highs and lows that they had uh, throughout this season and uh, just a, a special team and a special run, and we couldn't be happier for them uh, going all the way to winning the national championship. We'll take a timeout. You're listening to The Drive with Josh Graham here on WSJS. Hey, Triad, this is Rich Eisen. Catch me this evening at 6 for The Rich Eisen Show. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. 
Welcome back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Dave Pulaski filling in for Josh as he embarks on his honeymoon to Asheville, North Carolina. Lots going on here on this Tuesday afternoon. NHL season wrapped up this weekend. The Colorado Avalanche won their first Stanley Cup since 2001, their third in franchise history with a six-game series win against the two-time defending champion Tampa Bay Lightning, ending that budding dynasty in Tampa. And right now we're happy to be joined once again by Carolina Hurricanes TV and radio announcer Mike Maniscalco as we talk about that final matchup and the upcoming NHL offseason. Mike, excited to have you back with us. Uh, great to be back with you, Dave. And, and what's going on with Graham's wedding? This is like, uh, you know, Prince Harry's wedding. He gets like... He's drawn it out, hasn't he? Off. It I'm never ends. Say, he gets like... I was going to say, Will, he gets, what, three <laughs> weeks off for the actual wedding. He then, in the middle of his honeymoon, decides to go to some awards banquet. I mean, come on. You, you <laughs> go out with your wife? Well, I'm, I'm totally throwing him under the bus on that one. All right, Goodness so so sake. what do you think of Charles Barkley's advice for, for Josh Graham? He said he outkicked his coverage and don't F it up. Is that pretty solid marriage advice for anybody? I just, I just wish Barkley would have said, hey, if you know this is going to end in divorce, would you have gotten married anyway? <laughs> oh my goodness, that would have been tremendous. <laughs> so, I mean, just play. I mean, playing it off of that's how Barkley uh, got to know Josh. So you know, just uh, put that back there. But no, I, I agree with Sir Charles's advice. Definitely. I mean, Josh outkicked his coverage to begin with, but right. uh, let, let's see if he can live up to the second half of the bill. I, I hope he. I hope he can. I'm counting on him to do so. And like, like I said, I think I think that's good advice for any married couple. Just don't f it up. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you you've been married for a few years now. I I think you've heated that uh, to this point. So I mean, why why can't it apply for everybody else? It'll be twenty this August, somehow, some way. Wow! Congratulations. How did she put up with you for that long? That's a really good question. She traveled a lot for work. I like to tell everybody. So. <laughs> Because I I've known, schedules. That's the different cause, schedules. Because let's see, I, I've known you for about five, and I tolerate you pretty well, but we don't see each other all the time. That's correct, and that's why we tolerate each other so well, Dave, because we don't see each other all the time. Right. Well, all right. <laughs> Let, let's <laughs> let's get to the task at hand before we really go off the rails. This this Avalanche Lightning final series, did it play out the way you expected? Uh, actually, it did not. I thought Tampa Bay was going to win uh, the their third straight because of the goaltending out. Uh, looking how Tampa Bay was built. But, you know, the Lightning were beat up. It's not an excuse because Colorado had injuries, significant injuries as well going into the final. But uh, you just have to take a look at how Colorado, once they got the machine rolling, uh, just how good they are controlling the pace of play, controlling the puck, being able to put pressure on Tampa. Uh, Give the Lightning credit. They showed the, the heart of a champion. They didn't go down without a fight. But I was a little surprised because I thought that Vasilevsky and the way that the Lightning can defend would have been enough for them to find a way to defend their title for an Avalanche team that didn't really know, you know, what to expect in a Stanley Cup final because they hadn't gotten there. You know, they they hadn't gotten out of the second round. There were all of those question marks around them. But you know, give Jared Bednar the head coach of the Avalanche, and then how every one of their players just bought into what they needed to do, how they and they learned on the fly how to win. Uh, during this series against Tampa. I, I think that the Lightning showed them that with uh, how they played and how strong they played in, in game number three when we thought, oh, this series is over after that 7 nothing win that the Avs hung on them in game two. But 
Uh, a little surprised to uh, give a, a long-winded answer to a very good short question. A little surprised that Tampa didn't defend the title, but uh, Colorado didn't fluke their way into this. That's a really good team, and, and they might be on the start of something big right now. Yeah, you mentioned the goalie matchup and how on paper it seemed like a distinct advantage for Tampa Bay. Andre Vasilevsky against Darcy Kemper. Kemper had a good year. Some weren't sure, though, if he could step up with all the chips on the table. He sure did, though. That game six clincher stopped 22 of 23. They beat the Lightning 2-1 in Tampa. How impressive was he? Uh, very impressive. And, and that's why when uh, Colorado watched Philip Grubauer go in and sign with Seattle, they immediately put their attention to, we need to get a goaltender, and they put it on Darcy Kemper. And, you know, for Kemper, he finally got a team in front of him where Again, he had a, a really big luxury of saying, okay, how many can I, I allow tonight with this team? You know, he didn't have to be the difference maker for the Avalanche, but when they needed him in game six in a closeout, he gave them the performance that they needed to go out and win the game. And uh, I think that this is going to be an interesting question for both of these parties because, you know, Kemper can hit the unrestricted market. Yep. Uh, if you're the Avalanche, do you let the goaltender who won the, the Stanley Cup for you, do you let him walk? But, I think that this is a pretty good fit for these teams from what we saw. Uh, and a pretty good goaltending tandem. I mean, let's not forget that uh, Pal Elfrancois had to you know, carry the mail when Kemper got hurt earlier in this playoff. So uh, they got something good going in the, in the nets. But Kemper, when they needed him the most, they, that's why we talk about goaltending and pitching and quarterback play. You got to have it in, in big games if you want to win a championship. And, and Kemper, he answered the question for me, Dave. Can he be a championship caliber goaltender? And he showed that in game number six with a chance to close out Tampa. He was the guy who shut the door. Cal McCarr won the Conn Smythe Trophy for MVP of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Defenseman was plus seven, had 29 points in 20 games for the Avs. He's becoming a generational type player on that Colorado blue line, isn't he? Uh, I wouldn't say becoming. He is. He absolutely is right now, Dave. Uh, you, you and I weren't really uh, alive uh, at least to recognize enough of what Bobby Orr did, where he changed the game as a defenseman. Uh, but Makar, from everybody who I've talked to, is the closest thing to Bobby Orr. And, and hockey fans, you know who Bobby Orr is. If you don't know who he is, go Google him, uh, because he, he changed the way that the game was played. And if you watch Makar in person, he's even more impressive, Dave. He is, to me, uh, when we start ranking the, the defenseman you want to start with, and I get to watch a great one every single night in Jacob Slavin for yeah. the Carolina Hurricanes. Cal uh, McCarr might be all around right now when you consider his age and his ability, what he brings to the party. He might be the guy that you put as he's the best defenseman in the NHL. He's the guy I start my team with on the blue line. That's just how good he is. Yeah, cornerstone franchise type guy. And as you said, just 23 years old. So he's still, in essence, kind of reaching his peak, uh, which is kind oh, of scary. Yeah. Yeah, he's, I'll tell you what, it is scary for the rest of the league. Dave, he's, he's just scratching the surface. I mean, when, when he gets to, you know, 26, 27, when he's got a couple more years in the league and can understand how to defend a little bit better, and he's already excellent at it, taking away time and space, knowing when to deliver a big hit, reading plays. But what he's able to do offensively, how he can just take over a game and tilt the ice for the avalanche, and he's playing 23, 25 minutes a game. Uh, it's just impressive to watch. And again, it's, a credit to what the Avalanche and Joe Sackick have built, identifying these players when they've had the opportunity to draft them, when they've had an opportunity to acquire players via trade, that it all fits. But Cal McCarr, if you're looking for the linchpin for what's put the Avalanche over the top, as great as they are up front with Nathan McKinnon and uh, Gabriel Landeskog and how, how what an amazing year Nazem Kadri had this year, 
it was adding Cal McCarr into the mix, which is what took this team from really good to Stanley Cup champion. When Colorado won the Cup and they ended up handing it off to Captain Gabriel Landeskog, is, is there anything cooler than the sequence of handoffs of the Stanley Cup? The first guy to get it was Eric Johnson, who had spent uh, over a decade in the league and had uh, been through his trials and tribulations winning his first cup. Is there anything cooler than that sequence of guys, that succession of players who end up getting it uh, from the, you know, from their level of experience, uh, getting the chance to skate around with the cup? No, nothing better than that. And in particular for established veterans, well-respected guys, Dave, who've never won the cup that, you know, that's why they're playing. That's why they're in this game still to this point that they get, to hoist it because that's what it's all about for for them and you talk to anybody who's played the game for any length of time uh that either if they've won it or if they're chasing trying to win it it's it's about that moment when they get to hoist that 36 pound trophy over their head and just soak in everything and i can't even imagine uh what runs through a player's mind i mean it's got to be one of those flip books where you go back from like the first time you're on the pond right right up to that moment like it it all flashes right there but that's what it's about and everything about hockey about the finality of a series be it a first round or the stanley cup final dave is to me the best in sport because you have to have the handshake line oh the handshake line is amazing yeah that tradition is never going to be broken and then the handoff of the cup and from the captain to the players who, you know, have been chasing it forever and they finally give it. For me, I always go back to that flashback of, ironically enough, Colorado and a defenseman when Raymond Bork mm-hmm. gets the cup from Joe Sackick. Like, th- those are the memories that, as sports fans, you carry forever uh, when players get that opportunity. And, and I, again, hockey, they just know how to do that right. And it's not written down anywhere. It's just understood this is how it's going to go. Let's focus on the Lightning now. Two straight Stanley Cups, 11 consecutive playoff series wins before succumbing to the Avalanche. How will we view their legacy during these last couple of years? I'm going to be honest. The only, the only thing I can put it up to is, is what the Islanders did in the early 80s and, and how they put that together. And there was no salary cap then, so you could keep teams together. How this team went on this run of winning so many consecutive playoff rounds to get to this point in a salary cap era where they've lost players, where they had to get creative with the cap. And I won't use the term when people will say, oh, well, I, I didn't like what they did a few years ago with a long-term IR of Nikita Kucherov. Every team can do that. So they didn't, they didn't exploit a rule or, or do something that was outward cheating. They, they took advantage of something that everybody can. So, right. It was a loophole um, that existed for everybody. Yeah. And, and that's the one thing. It didn't just exist for Tampa where a lot of people like to think, oh, well, you know, these are set up for big market teams. How they, how they have won in the way they won their two cups, uh, that's impressive enough. But then to get back there a third year in a row, and you look at the injury list that they had going into this one, and it's not just, you know, a couple of guys. You're talking Anthony Sorelli. Braden Point was trying to play with a tear in his quad. And if you skate, if you run, if you do anything, you know how important your quad is. And he tried to come back and play. Nikita Kucherov got hurt in the finals. Like They had so many significant injuries that guys played through that also tells you what trying to win a Stanley Cup means to a hockey player, that they're going to be willing to go through things that in the regular season will probably keep them out about a month. And these guys are playing through it, or they know that 
we'll get to the end and we'll, we'll get the surgery when the season's over and deal with it then. So uh, they're, they're an impressive lot and I don't think they're going anywhere. Uh, I think John Cooper uh, is in the, that rare air of best coaches in sports, not just in hockey. Uh, their, their core is going to be back. They're going to have some pieces that they need to fix and, and maybe they've got it coming up through their, their minor league system right now. Certainly they're not afraid to address it with a trade with what Julian Breesbaugh has been able to do and, and tool this team to, to win. Uh, ironically enough, a team that Steve Eiserman sort of built to get here. And that's what he's trying to do in Detroit. But you look at, at where Tampa is, uh, this is one of the most impressive runs in uh, definitely the modern era of hockey. If you're going to put me to put it on the spot uh, with what this team has done, they should be celebrated like any other dynasty that the NHL has seen. Speaking with Mike Maniscalco, the Carolina Hurricanes TV, uh, TV and radio play-by-play announcer. Uh, Mike, it, it, before we shift gears here, is, is there anything more eye-opening than those exit interviews and, and those postseason surgery announcements that end up coming out after the playoffs, so, uh, finding out what these guys have been dealing with? No, nothing. Uh, I, I've been a, a part of a lot of them, Dave, and when you find out what – what some of these players have gone through. You're like, how are you even walking? Right. I mean, you mentioned Braden point. That's ridiculous. You're playing on a, playing on a, on a torn quad. That's, that's unheard of. And then you have, you know, Uh I remember JG Pajo in the playoffs last year, made it all the way to game seven of the Eastern conference or not Eastern conference of the semifinals last year uh, because of the change in divisions, but he made it all the way playing with a broken wrist had off-season surgery and, and ended up coming back. And it took him a couple months to get back into the flow for the Islanders. But, I mean, it, it's eye-opening to see what these guys deal with uh, when they finally uh, either end their season or get knocked out of the playoffs. I'll use the cliche, Dave. They're tough. They're, they're, hockey, they're hockey players. players. Yep. All right. Let, let's turn our attention over to the Hockey Hall of Fame announcements. Those took place on Monday. Daniel Alfredson, the Sedin Twins, Roberto Luongo, among the class of 2022, but one notable name, not among those getting in, of course, that's current Canes coach, Rod Brindamore. Was that a surprise for those around the team? Uh, I would like to say that it is because everybody who's around the team knows that he's a hall of famer. Uh, But at the same time, he hasn't heard his name yet. And I don't understand why I really don't. When you look at what he's done in his, his career, Dave, the fact that, he is captain the Stanley Cup champion. His playoff career is phenomenal. His regular season totals are unbelievable. I mean, this is a guy who's put together almost 1,200 points in the regular season. And he played almost 1,500 games in his career. He was counted on to be a stalwart, game in, game out. He was a high draft pick. In fact, he scores in his first ever game with the St. Louis Blues, which was a playoff game that they called him up in. I mean, mm-hmm. he was clutch. Uh, he's won the Selkie Award twice, so that goes to the NHL's best defensive forward. He played in the World Cup of Hockey in 1996 for Team Canada, which might have been the best hockey I've ever seen if you just talk about the tournament. Then he plays for Team Canada again in 98, and the first time that the uh, Olympics allowed NHL players in. Uh, that didn't go the way for Canada, but that's how well uh, that he is thought of as a player. And we're talking about an era that has – Gretzky and Sackick and Bork and all of these guys and Rod Brindamore is on these teams with these Canadian, you know, they're, they're all in the hall of fame. Uh, these Canadian legends, he deserves to be there. And I, I have not been given a satisfactory answer from anybody as to why he's not in there. When you consider what he has on the resume 
everybody who has that in the resume is in the Hall of Fame. I, I don't know what's keeping him out. I, I honestly don't. And again, I haven't been given a an answer where I'm like, well, that makes sense. Uh, he goes back to, in my mind, if he looks like a Hall of Famer and he played like a Hall of Famer, well, then he's a Hall of Famer. And he is. And then he's also one of the guys who should be credited, Dave, with changing how players attack the offseason and put themselves in shape. Mm -hmm. You know, the, yeah. the Rod the Bod nickname, you know, you can, you can roll your eyes, you can laugh at it, or you can take it serious. But this is a guy who really brought fitness to the next level where his teammates are like, well, maybe I got to start doing that, you know, because he doesn't miss games and, and look at how he plays. So there are so many things about Rod Brindamore. Uh, one, he's a hall of fame human being eh, just away from the game. He is one of the best people you want to meet, but the way he conducted himself, the way he carried himself on the ice, he should be, he should be enshrined in Toronto. And I, I don't know for the life of me why he's not. And again, I have not been given any, credible answer and I don't want to take away whenever you do this you you always seem to be saying that you're taking away from the class that got in I don't have any arguments with any of the guys and the the lady who was put into the hall of fame this year and as a matter of fact if I do have an argument there are more female players who deserve the recognition sure. to get in instead of just putting one one female player a year into the hockey hall of fame with what they've done but in the Brindamore case I, I don't know if you know about this if you can tell in my voice Dave, I get a little fired up talking about this right now. I knew you would. I, I just, I just don't, I just don't understand why Rod Brindamore, who retired 12 years ago, is not in the Hockey Hall of Fame. And there's a couple other guys we can make the argument to: uh, Keith Kachuk, Alexander McGillney, uh, outstanding players. Mm -hmm. They should be in the Hall. Uh, Jeremy Roenick, you can make the case, can be in the Hall. Uh, but I, I just don't understand why Rod Brindamore isn't there and i'll go back to the one thing about every hall of fame they talk about it for the the nfl hall of fame uh for the pro football hall of fame i should say in canton mm -hmm. but for me the for me when you ask somebody about should you be in the hall of fame the criteria always comes down to can you write the history of this sport without putting this person's name in that book and you have to put rod brindamore's name in the book of the history of hockey so put him in the hall of fame where he rightly belongs. Yeah, I mean, his, if you just go by the numbers, the numbers are there. I mean, without all the intangibles, without winning the Stanley Cup, without being the captain of a Stanley Cup winning team. And then you think of those Flyers teams in the 90s, of course, Lindros and, and the Legion of Doom get you know all the attention and the credit, but Rod Brindamore was a star on that Flyers team in the 90s that helped lead them into the Stanley Cup finals a couple of times. Yeah, in 96, 97, he had 13 goals in the playoffs. I was just, I happen to have his... Uh, his numbers at my fingertips for this one, Dave, uh, 13 goals. And that led the NHL in goals in the postseason that year. Uh, and they don't win the cup. They lose to that really good Detroit team. Right. But then, then in Oh two, he, he's got uh, another massive season for the Carolina hurricanes as they make it to the cup and lose to Detroit. Somehow Detroit got into his kitchen. And then he comes up, he, between him and Cam Ward, you could have made the case because of the important goals, the clutch goals when he scored him in that playoff, although Cam Ward was so good for the Canes in, mm -hmm. in that 06 Stanley Cup run. But you could have made a case that he was the, the Conn Smythe Trophy winner. You could have made the case if Philadelphia would have found a way to beat Detroit. He could have won the Conn Smythe for the Flyers to win the, the you know Stanley Cup back in, in the mid-'90s. So, again, it, it's, it's all there for him. Uh, I, I, I hope next year he gets in. 
but it's to the point now where none of us are surprised when we don't hear his name. It's just one of those things where we're just like, okay, I don't know what it's going to take because it's been 12 years. It's not like he's got to play, you know, there's more on the resume to get into unless they want to put him in as a coach as well with what he's been able to do in his first four years as a head coach. And that, that's been a pretty good resume as well. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's not yeah. overlook that. Really, Four straight playoff to, appearances. I'd say. That, <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So NHL draft July 7th and 8th. Free agency begins July 13th at noon. What kind of activity can we expect from the Hurricanes and Don Waddell? You know, I'll tell you, uh, expect everything. Uh, the, the Canes don't have a first-round pick uh, when they head up to Montreal in, a, in about a week plus. So if there's somebody, they're not afraid to make moves at the draft, either moving up for a player or moving back for, for somebody who they have pegged and slaughtered in a certain area. They do have a bunch of picks to work with, but uh, they don't have a first-rounder. But I, I never count this team out of doing anything that they feel could make them better. Uh, and, and they don't like to go the free agent route, so there could be something as far as a deal goes. But when people say, well, what do you expect the Hurricanes to do? Uh, whatever this front office, led by Don Waddell, and then what Darren York and, and Eric Tulski uh, put together, whatever they feel will make this team better, they'll do that. So could it be a big trade? Could it be uh, you know, a deal that you, you don't think of? Um, you look at some signings that this team has had in the past. You know, Jesper Foss from the Rangers. You know, nobody really looked at that as a, a huge deal, but he was part of their most uh, consistent line this year with uh, Jordan Stahl and, and Nino Niederreiter. They do have some in-house players they have to take a look at as far as unrestricted free agents, Vincent Trocek, Nino Niederreiter being one and two. So that could impact what this team does in free agency, Dave, and I don't have the crystal ball on that one, but uh, everything's in play. This is an organization that doesn't leave a stone unturned. They, they look at everything in what they feel can make this team better. So uh, I can expect this to be a, a major offseason for the Carolina Hurricanes where they go and if there's a trade that's out there that they feel they can they can get a player that fits with how they play, with what they want to do. And, you know, of course, you've got to fit in the, the salary cap and the salary structure of the team. But uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see this team have some kind of, of big impact this offseason. Speaking with Mike Maniscalco from the Carolina Hurricanes, you mentioned Vincent Trocek and Nino Niederreiter uh, being among the target free agents. Uh, Max Domi, you can throw into that list as well. How much of a priority is it to try and keep these guys in Raleigh going forward? Uh, I, I know if you ask Rod Brindmore as a head coach, he wants everybody back and run it back again with his group uh, because of what they were able to accomplish with 54 wins. Uh, I, I do think that if people keep asking, you know, if, if there's a priority of, would it be would it be Trocheck or Nita Ryder? I I don't think that it would be one and two. It's more one A one B, where I think they want Nino Nita Ryder back because of what he brought to that line that we talked about with Stahl and Jesper Faust. But you know Vincent Trocheck for what he does as as a second line center on this team, how he plays with sandpaper, but he's also got that huge upside of offensive potential. You know he was an All Star with the Florida Panthers a few years ago. Uh, but for me, it's, it's what he does, not just five on five, but he's on the power play. He's on the penalty kill. He's great in the faceoff circle. He's a good guy to have in the, the locker room as a leader. Uh, he's, he's not afraid to be an irritant to the other team and, and get under the other team's skin. Uh, he's the one, a guy, but you know, Nino Niederreiter is another guy who just fits hand in glove in that, that locker room. But for the Canes, the tough thing here is you got to look at, you're talking about a guy who is. 29 years old in Nino Niederreiter and 28 years old in Vincent Trocek. 
So how long do you want to go with them as far as a, a contract is is going to be there? The term becomes the big deal for both of those players. And look, they're unrestricted free agents, and I, I don't care what the sport is for me, Dave. Uh, you go where you feel the best offer is. But I know that the priority for the Canes would be definitely to bring both of those players back if they're willing to come back. All right, Mike, really appreciate the time. Always good chatting with you and uh, hope to do so again soon. Always appreciate it, Dave. Thank you very much. And, and Will, uh, you should get some of at least some honeymoon time for yourself. Make sure that you get some time off, too, with all the time that Graham has been taking off right now. Well, I've got to pick up the slack for him while he's gone. So if, if anything, it's the, the opposite, Mike. You've got to pick up the slack when he's there, too, Will. I'm just saying. Yeah. Now you see what I'm dealing with over getting, here. You're, you're giving Will honeymoon time? <laughs> what are you doing? Sticking him in the in the heart-shaped hot tub over there? What? what what's Why not? If it, why not? If the champagne glass filled with uh, champagne and the honeymoon suite is open, let him get that fine, relaxing dip. That's what I say. And Dave, this is like vacation for Will. You you do everything. I've worked with you before. Your work ethic <laughs> is that that's Hall of Fame worthy. <laughs> what for putting up with me? Well, either way, however you guys <laughs> want to make this road drivable, I'm all for it. <laughs> Mike, appreciate it. Hope to see you soon, buddy. You got it, guys. Take care. Thanks All right. a lot. Mike Maniscalco, TV and radio play-by-play announcer from the Carolina Hurricanes. Always good chatting with him. We'll take a timeout. You're listening to The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS. Check this out. We're on at five. The perfect blend of sports and pop culture happens this evening at six with The Rich Eisen Show. Okay, let's get this show rolling. Now back to The Drive with Josh Graham. Welcome back to The Drive. Dave Pulaski filling in for Josh Graham on this Tuesday afternoon. Let's dive back into college baseball. College World Series wrapping up over the weekend. The Ole Miss Rebels clinched their first national title on Sunday, a 4-2 win over Oklahoma to sweep the best of three final series. And the man behind the mic for that national championship call and the longtime voice of Ole Miss baseball now joins us as he travels back from Omaha. David Kellum, DK, thanks so much for giving us a few minutes as you head back to Oxford. Where in the world are you right now? Well, Dave, appreciate you a lot. I just walked in the house. Did you really? I could not have timed it any better. I just walked in the home. I am in Oxford, Mississippi, the home of the 2022 college baseball champions. <laughs> Will you ever get tired of hearing or saying that? No, I don't think so. It is, it, it's still. I don't know if it's still really sunk in. I was going to uh, say you had a you lot know. of you had a lot of time on the drive back to think about this and, and reflect on it. Has it has it really sunk in? What's happened? Well, about you know every thirty miles or forty miles, we would say, "Oh my gosh, we're the national champions." It's like it, it might have been different if it were a year where we started out good and played good and finished strong and won it. But it was just such an unusual season, as you well know, and worked with us throughout the year. But uh, it, it's just it's surreal. And even in the last game day, I was sitting there going, and, and we talked about it, you know. Okay, we're going to be okay. We'll be, we'll be able to win tomorrow. We got some really good pitchers lined up. Yada yada yada. All of a sudden, boom boom, two wild pitches. Got a lead, and then in your mind, you go, "We're three outs from the natty." And in comes uh, BJ Brandon Johnson, our closer, and he goes, "Strikeout, strikeout, strikeout." And it just happened that quick. It was amazing how that game flipped, and uh, all of a sudden, you're the national champs. We we had Tim Elko on earlier this afternoon, and I, I said to him, no I, good, I, "I asked, I asked, was it fitting?" that you guys came back the way you did in that last game of the season, given everything that you guys have do- have dealt with. And he said, yeah, he was like, you know, in, in a roundabout way. Yeah. It actually was kind of fitting that, that we ended up pulling off a comeback and in, in a season really full of comebacks, uh, having to come back from seven and 14 
in SEC play, getting into the tournament, and just uh, just being able to to overcome all the adversity that uh, encountered them uh, during the course of the season. So as an Oxford area native and an Ole Miss alumnus and the voice of the Rebels, how does it feel to have national champions attached to the school name? It's, it's incredible. I mean, you, you think about, we used to, we had a few football national championships really b- before the modern era. Uh, and we were really good in football back in the sixties. And we've had some, we had the women's golf team win a national championship it was really special. Here we've had some individual championships lately here as well. So the department's kind of heading in the right dire- direction in general, but to have uh, a national championship in, you know, a more traditional sport you've been playing for years and years and years and, and to get it done is, is amazing. We play in an incredible league. Uh, I mean, you talked about the seven and 14. We were what, I think ninth in the SEC going to postseason, we get knocked out in the tournament, the first game. Uh, I mean, the three Western division teams are in the college world series were winless in the SEC tournament. So we just play in a, a, a very, very difficult league. And, uh, we were so excited to get in, and then we thought, okay, we're in. We're playing really, really well. We look like the team we thought we were going to be at the beginning of the year. Let's see how far we can go. And the kids just kept winning. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I texted you the day of the selections, and I said, holy cow, we got in. Because a lot of the national right, right. media publications said, no, they you know, they weren't going to get in the tournament, especially after losing to Vanderbilt uh, in that first SEC tournament game. So how much of a burden do you think was lifted off the players' shoulders as they saw their name appear in that cool Gables regional. No, oh, I think it was it was you know immeasurable. They were they were so excited when they were watching and, and saw that we were in. I think we, little Birdie had told our coaches in advance, and so to set that up and and all and be able to see your name go on the board, uh, they were just incredibly relieved and and you know they'd done so much at the end. Yeah, it's just what we did in the last month and a half is almost impossible, even if you're playing really really well in our league. Uh, so to be able to do that and still do enough to get in, uh, and and they were the same way. Say, hey, we got a new chance, new life. Everything that's happened up to this point is over. You're starting fresh, and all the teams are, are that way. And so you see some of the other schools that flourish, maybe didn't play quite as well in, in the regular season. And went, you know, once it gets to postseason, then some others go the other direction. Uh, I think about Arkansas too. Arkansas. Had a little stretch there, not as bad as our stretch, but a stretch where they struggled a little bit too, and then got it solved and got in the tournament. Uh, and you, you look at the teams in the College World Series that had to travel in regionals and/or super regionals. Uh, you just don't know. It's kind of it's, you know how baseball is, Dave. You get hot late, and you make a few plays, a few things go your way, and boom, boom, you can be in a, a really good position. But uh, we solved our pitching, as you know that that was one of the keys, Lucian and. Uh, Elliot were just incredible down the stretch, and BJ has been really on, good on the backside. The middle relief came really solid, and and so solving that a little bit was huge. And then getting Graham, Kevin Graham, back who had broken his hand, our our left fielder who was an incredible hitter, cleanup batter, missed him for a month. Getting him back was huge too. But you still didn't know for sure on that selection day. Had you had done? Have you done enough? You know, we're the last team in basically. Yeah, I mean, and to go last team into last team standing as Brad Henderson so uh, perfectly pointed out uh, during the broadcast right, right. in that final game against Oklahoma. I mean, but you still had a quite the journey to get through. You had to go through Coral Gables, had to beat the number six national seed Miami. You had to beat the Arizona team that knocked you out of the Super Regionals last year. Then you had to go to Hattiesburg and go up against Southern Miss in the Super Regionals, a, a budding in-state rivalry that had uh, all the atmosphere in the world there at Pete Taylor Park. Uh, how special was it to watch different guys 
step up in every game and deliver memorable performances during this tournament run. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you look at Jack Doherty, who hadn't started in two or three months. It threw a start late in the College World Series, and he gets it done, too. So, yeah, it, it's been amazing. I think it's one of the keys is it's an older team from the position player standpoint. So up and down the lineup, you've got guys that have played a whole lot of baseball. Uh, Justin Bench is one of the best college players we've ever had. I don't know how far Justin could get in the pros. I think he's definitely somebody that they need to look at. But he's he can play third, he can play center field. But he's been in our program for a while. Elko, you mentioned uh, as well, has just been in the program for a while. And so you've had some guys that were veterans that didn't panic and kind of help you know keep things together. And when they got in the postseason, they were just super confident. Yeah, and speaking with David Kellum, the play-by-play voice of the Ole Miss Rebels for both football, men's basketball, as well as baseball, called the national championship for the Rebels over Oklahoma. Uh, Will, let's let's pull up that final call uh, from David Kellum uh, for the College World Series championship, and we'll we'll talk about uh, the call and and just the the moment for you uh, right after we hear it here as uh, Ole Miss ended up sweeping Oklahoma on this final pitch. Brandon Johnson stares in to get the signal from Dunhurst. We're ready to go again. The one-two pitch to the DH on its way. He struck him out on a breaking ball. And the Ole Miss Rebels are your national champions. 4-2 the final score. Oh, my goodness. Red and blue streamers everywhere. We got a dog pal in front of the mound. Ole Miss has won it all. How many times have you listened to that clip in the two days since you called that? And and first of all, as a play-by-play announcer, do you really know what you're saying as you're saying it, or do you have those blackout moments? Because I know I'll go through those times <laughs> on occasion where I'll call a play and I'll be like, I have no idea what I just said. <laughs> yeah well uh it, it was it was a great experience to say the least one that i've never had before you know someone asked me hey have you got something ready to say if we win it all and i was like no uh-uh. mm-hmm. i think i would blow that if i didn't <laughs> write it down so uh it, it was a 100 percent in the moment call and uh it you know i've listened to it i don't know two or three thousand times it's on the now and (laughs) (laughs) and i'm getting of course twitter's blown up a lot of people i've been doing this a long time so i've got a lot of really nice comments about uh, being able to not only get there and call the game but to win it was was super super special but i've always gone into a broadcast uh dave as as considering myself as just an extension of the fans. I mean, I'm an old Miss graduate, yada, yada, have a diploma on the walls, have a license to be a homer. And, you know, all those things are cool when you're broadcasting for your, for your alma mater. And so we have to have some degree of, of, uh, you know, honesty when the other mm-hmm. teams outplayed us and when we haven't played as well, yada, yada, yada. But, uh, the bottom line is I've always, uh, you know, approach broadcasting as if I were a fan at home listening. What would I want to hear? Yeah, no question about that. Now, you think of Ole Miss baseball, had a lot of great players come through Oxford over the years. A lot of guys who made the major leagues, a lot of guys who had stellar careers. But if you think of a single player who defines Rebel baseball, it's Tim Elko. What does he mean to that team on and off the field, in that community, what's his legacy going to be in Oxford? You, you know, his career kind of mirrors this year. 
too, Dave, which is kind of wild. You know, when he first got here, he didn't play much. He was caught in a log jam, really good kid, uh, waiting his turn. I mean, he wasn't one of those hot shot freshmen stepped on the field and boom, was playing every day. And then, of course, you know you know about the injury last year, tore an ACL yep. in the middle of the season, which is a killer. And then and played COVID, during. I'll be back before the year's out. You know, we're all going, are you kidding me? It's an ACL, dude. You're not going to be back before the year's out. He right. got back. I mean, it's just, it was. Phenomenal. And not only got back, but played well. Yeah, he had a grand slam, what, three, four, you know, at bats his, his <laughs> return. And so that was just legendary. Finished the season off, got totally healthy this year and had a phenomenal final year. And, and he kept this team together, you know, during the stretch where we weren't playing well, seemed like we were just defensively, we were bad, offensively, we were struggling. And, and Tim and Kevin Graham and some of the other players just kind of kept this team together. But, yeah, he's he's at the top of the list. I and mean, we've had some incredible players, and he's a high-character player, and we've had a lot of high-character players, too. And not taking anything away from any of them, as I love tons of them, as they will know. Heard from many of them on my drive back over the last couple of days. But uh, he's a classy, classy young man. Uh, and also uh, just a great player, great leader, uh, not as much verbal leader, but leading by example. And if you look at what he's been through and what he's done, he just keeps on coming and keeps on coming. He really was the focal point of all the other players on this team. And I think the best compliment about Tim was the praise that he would get from other players around the SEC, right. including Tanner right. Allen, really, at the top of the list. Uh, Mississippi right. State player. Uh, you, you don't always get the most compliments from your arch rival, but Tanner Allen was right at the forefront uh, for Tim speaking about him, the way he goes about his business. And that, that really speaks to the character that he has. Yeah. And Tanner and, and Tim hugged each other at the end of the last game, I think last year, knowing that that was going to be, be it for them against each other, which was kind of neat. Now, you know, Tim Elko rather beat Mississippi State than Bree. Tanner <laughs> Allen rather beat Ole Miss than Bree. Yeah. And you get that. But that mutual respect, between those two guys is really, really cool. It's really neat for Tanner to reach out, you know, and, and, and say some nice things about, about Elko. And, and then even more phenomenal in this story is we look at, I look at it through red and blue glasses, obviously, but for Mississippi state and Ole Miss to win the national championship in baseball in back-to-back years just speaks volumes about the baseball in, in the state of Mississippi. Oh, no question about that. And you have Southern Miss right on, right on the doorstep as well, making it to the Super Regionals as well. So, I mean, it speaks a yeah, lot with, with for the Magnolia State. Key players back. I mean, I, I, a good friend of mine with Southern Miss, I sent him a text. So I said, well, you guys are next. <laughs> <laughs> now, with all the unrest surrounding the program in early May, head coach Mike Bianco never wavered from the message to his team. And I'm not sure if you, if you heard this since you were driving, but he was named a uh, – national coach of the year by collegiate baseball uh this afternoon awesome. as well uh awesome. how important was that steady hand as this team embarked on its run well i think a combination of things uh, very confident in the system that he that he uses to to win baseball games nobody has been to the postseason any more than we have been we just missed out on some super regionals and a uh, player two here and the super regional gets away and so we've only punched our ticket since he's been at old miss to omaha twice uh, but probably, I don't know, I don't want to say should have, but could have been there three, maybe four more times with a little bit better luck in, in postseason. So all of that, if you really look at his total body of work, he's a phenomenal coach, uh, does a great job, calls every single pitch. But, but he lifted that bar himself to the point where the expectation was Omaha every year. 
And in our conference, teams make it regularly, you know, not not every single year. I mean, Mississippi State won a title last year. They couldn't even get to the SEC tournament this year. So it's a humbling conference. If you got a little, you know, in, invincible moments, you feel great. But uh, there's a lot of times that, that there's some, you know, uh, bad armor you're wearing, and all of a sudden you get exposed, and boom, boom. So that's part of the part of the SEC as well. But he has navigated it so well, and I'm so happy for him to not only get there and win a national championship. He's maybe the most deserving coach in the country to to get to that point. And then our AD, as you heard in our post game show, uh, Keith Carter, who's a former basketball All American for us too. Keith said that. Coach Bianco's done a phenomenal job, and he will be our coach as long as he wants to. And so that kind of squelches those that were ready to get rid of Mike Bianco in the middle of the year when things were not going uh, so well. But he he definitely has uh, done an incredible job with our program, very deserving to be the national coach of the year. And, David, before we let you go, you have the parade and championship celebration tomorrow on the Ole Miss campus. This baseball team hasn't been home in over a month, so how special is this going to be to honor this team, and in particular – this group of seniors won last time at Swayze. It's going to be special, Dave. No question about that. I think we counted that we've been home four days in June, <laughs> so right. with the you know the road trip to Coral Gables and rain delay and all it took to get that thing. We dealt that with the tropical storm and then to Southern, then to the College World Series. So I know a lot of them are just glad to be back here on campus, and uh, we'll we'll have a tremendous turnout. I talked to a friend of mine at a local radio station that did the remote for the walk of champions last night i said i asked ricky Myers, who runs the station how many people he said i'm i'm thinking about four thousand wow. in the grove and so that's phenomenal that's like a football yeah. party and we'll have a huge crowd tomorrow for the parade and the the, the ceremony at the stadium as well but the old rebel nation is really excited that's for sure no question about that. 20,000 strong in Omaha. Uh, what, what was it like? Let me last, ask you this one last question. What was it like having all those fans there coming up from Oxford, some coming up during the week as the College World Series ro- uh, roared on? What was it like to have that kind of atmosphere in the stands uh, from a broadcaster's perspective? Well, it was crazy. And, you know, in our league and some of the, some of the ACC spots are this way too, we have tremendous attendance. And uh, there's about six schools in the league that draw 10,000 or more pretty regularly, and we do. I mean, we finished, I think, this year fourth in the country in attendance, and I think the SEC dominated the top of the list. Uh, so it was – I was kidding my wife. I said, you know, this is like two Swayze's. Our field is called Swayze Field. I said, you know, we usually draw about 11,000. We're at 20, probably 22,000. These people are old Miss fans. We're just laughing about it. But it was it was impressive for them to, to make the effort to, to get there – uh, and some of them have got the money. It's no big deal. Others, you know, canceled their vacations and used it for this. And so it was it was really neat to see uh, that kind of a, a turnout. And I don't know if they've come back yet. I, I, I didn't see very many cars on the drive back. I think they're still up in Omaha Party and going to win. <laughs> well, some of them might have made their way to Rocco's across the street and uh, put on a nightcap, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we blew the shot thing out of the world. I don't know if anybody ever break that record. No, I don't think so. That's that's gonna that's gonna be a Joe DiMaggio type record for for years to come in in Omaha. <laughs> David, I know yeah. you've had a really long trip. Uh, really th- appreciate you taking some time to join us, and uh, really enjoyed working with you this year on the on the Ole Miss Network. We had a blast, man. Yeah, same here, Dave. You did an incredible job, and we had a lot of fun. And we'll see if we can line it up, do it again next time. Let's run it back. All right. All right. Sounds good. All right. David Kellum, Ole Miss Rebels voice.